You good? I'm good. All right. So this is Christina Rodriguez, producer at Snapshot Studios in Brooklyn, New York. I'm here with our own Rachel Brooks, who is one of our reporters. Hey. Rachel has been with us for three years, is it? Four, almost. Wow, really? Four in February. (laughs) Well, we have been lucky to have you for four years. Uh, Today, we are launching a new story, kind of different from what we normally do here at Snapshot. Uh, Rachel, you want to take it from there? Sure, sure. So, Snapshot Studios. We specialize in snaps of stories. Snippets of people's lives, you know. We have 30-minute segments, and then we move on to new material. But uh, this month, we're following one story in six. Yeah, we're going to try to do this in six 30-minute segments. Christina has been generous enough to let me do this, even though it's totally new and deconstructs everything we stand for. No, no, no. I'm more than willing to give my blessing because this was kind of unreal. I wanted to keep it going because it didn't feel responsible to just stop after the first segment. I say as many segments as it takes, as it's still, you know. Ongoing. Right. They are probably so confused and annoyed right now. (laughs) I know our audience. Hey, you guys are fast-paced and busy, and that's how we like to form our stories. But you guys are also awesome, and I know you'd be behind us in this. So, let's get to it. Yes, so a few things. This story and the segments attached to it deal with really difficult material. So there will be profanity as well as graphic descriptions of violence, so please use discretion if you or anyone listening is young or sensitive to that. We also want you to know that though this report is ongoing, myself and Snapshot Studios are in contact with the NYPD and are cooperating with them. Uh, All of this should make sense as we reveal details. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you, Rach. As always, thank you, listeners, for choosing Snapshot. We are 100% listener-funded, and I can't thank you enough for your support. If you'd like to donate or become a monthly sponsor, visit our website at snapshotbroadcaststudios.com, and there you can also subscribe to our show and this six-part segment, which we are calling Rachel Salamander. We hope you enjoy. Hello. What you just heard was an introduction that my producer and I will put in before all of this. But this is my intro to a six-part story I have decided to call Salamander. Before we get to that, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Rachel Brooks. I am a reporter with Snapshot Broadcast Studios, a podcast based in Brooklyn. I've worked here a few years now. I am 31, originally from Los Angeles. You may recognize me or my name if you were around in the 90s. I starred in a popular TV show called Brighton, as well as a few pretty bad made-for-TV movies. Back then, I went by Rachel Ann Brooks, but I've since dropped the middle name. People still know me as that, though. Or they call me by the name of my character I played as a child, Cece. I know a few ex-child stars who still get called by their character name. It's annoying but it comes with the territory. It's not as bad as getting called that cute little black girl from that show, which I got a lot and still get sometimes. Being an ex-child star is odd, 
and growing up on the set of a sitcom was an experience. I could go on and on about it, but we'll save that for another show. Suffice to say that once I graduated high school, I was ready to make a name for myself outside of Hollywood. The money I made doing TV paid my tuition to Columbia University. And I have stayed in New York, mostly under the radar, as a journalist ever since. I came to Snapshot Studios because I liked what they did. Quick, gut-wrenching, poignant stories about real people and things that mattered. But like a snapshot, the story is just a moment. We'd report on something, get the meat, and that was it. No fluff, no backstory, no follow-up. It was the kind of reporting I'd always wanted to do. Raw interviews, sometimes with sad endings, or cliffhangers, or no resolve, like the moments in our lives. That was the kind of story I was planning on when I was given this assignment. My producer, Christina, who you just heard, asked me to interview someone who had gotten a fair bit of media attention in Brooklyn this past year. Her face and story were on the news, mostly social media news. But like everything these days, her story was forgotten as soon as the next celebrity scandal or viral article surfaced. Her name was Owen Rose Haddad. If you're like me, the name seemed familiar, but had that all-too-common three-part flow like so many names. John Benet Ramsey, Lee Harvey Oswald, Rachel Ann Brooks. My story starts on the first day I went to interview Owen. And no offense to my producer, Christina, but I don't know why she thought we could cover this story in one shot. Okay. It is December 18, 2016. I am at Leland Juvenile Detention Facility in Brooklyn. They have me in the waiting room right now. I'm not supposed to have this on yet, but that's where I am. Ms. Brooks. Yes, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. I'm Karen, Owen's caseworker. Nice to meet you. You as well. So I was told I could speak to Owen here? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. But I can answer questions on her behalf, if you like. She changed her mind about being interviewed? Well, you understand she's a minor, and this case is getting some press. Yeah, sure. Without a legal guardian, she's my responsibility at the moment. It's just that I'm trying to do what's in her best interest. She may say she wants to do an interview, but with the case still open, she really shouldn't be talking about it. I understand. I could interview her with you in the room. That way you know what we talk about. I don't think so. She's not very uh, fond of me to begin with. She won't give you much if I'm sitting right next to her. It's just that I want to meet Owen. What if I just introduce myself and we talk for a few minutes? I won't even ask her about, you know, any of it today. Five minutes? No talking about the case. Of course, of course. We've gotten so many inquiries, I've taken the phone off the hook. Dr. Phil's people are relentless. <laughs> I bet. I've been a social worker for 26 years now, and just when you think you've seen it all, man, some days you just want to throw in the towel. You said you and Owen don't get along so well? She's been through a lot. Girl doesn't like anybody. So there's your fair warning. Don't be surprised if you walk out of here with a tape recorder full of nothing but the buzz sound from the fluorescent lights. 
The child psychologist who saw her said she wants to tell her story. Dr. Richmond's a quack, and he breached confidentiality by talking about her to the press. Exploit a kid for your own fame? Well done, sir. No wonder the mental health system in this country's a disaster. Uh, she says she wants to talk about things, but she doesn't say much to me except go the hell away. What can you tell me about her case as her social worker? I have 57 cases on my desk right now, Rachel. 57 children whose homes need investigating, who aren't getting fed, who have it much worse than Ms. Haddad in there, but her file gets put on top of everyone else's because she's some big somebody right now. Don't get me wrong. I love children. I want to help children. That's why I do what I do. But I did not sign up for this. Whatever attention this child needs, I feel for her. I do. But I've done this a long time. She don't care. She don't. She's the devil's spawn, as sure as I can tell. And I'm about sick of America only caring about kids when it makes an interesting story. I'm sorry. Go I... talk to her for all I care. Give the news what they want. Nobody wants an investigative story about the two toddlers we found in Queens last week, unattended for three days. When the cops walked in, they heard crying coming from the kitchen. One was boosting the other up, trying to reach the carton of milk. But you all don't want that story. Nah, it's not as interesting as the pretty teenage arsonist in there. I'm just... I know, doing your job. We all are. Karen led me to the interview room where I could talk to Owen. It had blank walls and a cold metal table with two chairs. She said I was still only allowed five minutes. When Owen walked in, she wore a white jumpsuit. Her hands were cuffed together in front of her. Her hair is black and wavy, reaching just past her shoulders. She has striking green eyes. Her nose is pierced with a tiny silver hoop. The guard escorts her in, but gives us some privacy after she sits down. Owen is 17, but sitting across from me, she looks younger. The pictures of her online showed her hair and makeup done. She could have passed for Kylie Jenner's twin. Now though, she looks smaller, frailer, dare I say, innocent. Hi, I'm Rachel. Owen Rose. So you go by both names? Yeah. Keeps people from assuming I'm a guy. Good point. So, who are you? I'm a reporter from Snapshot Broadcast. Can you tell me a little about yourself? Like what? Uh, anything. Where you grew up? Your childhood? Why do you wear your hair like that? Huh? Your hair. Why do you wear it in an afro? Oh, um... I decided a few years ago to wear it more natural. I've had it braided, straightened, even shaved my head once. Really? Yep. Black women look pretty with any kind of hair. Oh, thanks. It's not a compliment, just an observation. Oh. How long before I have to go back? They're only giving me five minutes today. Are you going to come back? Definitely, if they let me. If you want to talk to me. I'm from Brooklyn. My mom came over from Lebanon when she was pregnant with me. Right. You were adopted. 
Um, it's kind of obvious two old white people couldn't make this. No, no, I guess not. Um, the Clarks adopted you when you were 10, after your mother died? Yeah, she was their cleaning lady. They let me keep her last name, though. Were you and your real mother close? I guess. She worked a lot. I don't remember a whole lot. Mostly I remember weird things. Like what? I remember the song she sang to me. She wanted to get better at English, so she got all these kids' songbooks with nursery rhymes in them. She'd sing them to me in the car or in the kitchen, but if she didn't have the books in front of her, she'd sing it all wrong. Did you have a favorite? Yeah, London Bridge. It used to be my least favorite. Why is that? It was just a song full of excuses. If you sing all the verses, that's all it is. The words seem to have escaped me. I'm not sure I even remember the tune. I still remember it. The long version. Most people only know the first verse. Can you sing it? You want me to sing it. I'm just curious about all these excuses you're talking about. I remember, London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down, London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. No idea what's next. Build it up with wood and clay, wood and clay, wood and clay. Build it up with wood and clay, my fair lady. Wood and clay will wash away, wash away, wash away. Wood and clay will wash away, my fair lady. Build it up with bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. Build it up with bricks and mortar, my fair lady. Bricks and mortar will not stay, will not stay, will not stay. Bricks and mortar will not stay, my fair lady. Build it up with iron and steel, iron and steel, iron and steel. Build it up with iron and steel, my fair lady. Iron and steel will bend and bow, bend and bow, bend and bow. Iron and steel will bend and bow, my fair lady. Build it up with silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold. Build it up with silver and gold, my fair lady. Silver and gold will be stolen away, stolen away, stolen away. Silver and gold will be stolen away, my fair lady. Set a man to watch all night, watch all night, watch all night. Set a man to watch all night, my fair lady. Suppose the man should fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. Suppose the man should fall asleep, my fair lady. Give him a pipe to smoke all night, smoke all night, smoke all night. Give him a pipe to smoke all night, my fair lady. Wow, you're right. That's a lot of excuses. And weird that giving him a pipe will solve everything. So what made you change your mind? Why did it become your favorite? Because it taught me how to do it. It taught you how to do what? You know, to keep trying. Bricks and mortar, iron and steel, silver and gold. It all has its limits. You mean? You know, my mom would always sing it wrong, like I said. 
she'd say, London Bridge is burning down, burning down, burning down. The song taught you how to burn something down? No. You just said earlier, the pipe solves everything. Not the pipe, though. The fire. We're done here. Officer, the squirt miss had it out. No. Wait, wait, Owen, what do you mean? That Owen goes to watch all night, watch all night. Can I just have one more minute? You need to be going now. You've done enough. I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting when I took this assignment, but that definitely wasn't it. I'd done my homework, or so I thought. The headlines and articles online framed this story in ways that I couldn't detach from, as hard as I tried to go in open-minded. Teenage beauty, prime suspect, and fire that killed adoptive parents. It was likened to the historic Lizzie Borden case. Sort of. Lizzie Borden wasn't the daughter of a Lebanese immigrant. Other media sources and online commenters took the wrongfully accused angle. This is Muslim activist Sam Merrick, speaking on CNN just a few days after the incident. Sam, no, 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 Sam, no. you cannot Listen, keep Mike, making this about race. Mike, if this were a little white girl, people would be sending her donations and, and condolences. But all of a sudden, it's a conspiracy because she's of Middle Eastern descent. I, I can't even begin to tell you how much the U.S. justice system is, is about to fail her. The people talking about the case were divided. Teenage sociopath or scapegoat? Full disclosure, I was interested in the case for the latter. Call it minority sympathy. I don't know. I guess it's because I still can't walk through a cosmetic store without a sales rep tracking me close behind. And I know a little bit about what it's like to be a brown girl being patronized by white adults. My job description in the sitcom might as well have said that. So, I don't know. I went into my first interview with Owen thinking that I would be an advocate, a confidant. As I'm sure you can tell, she did not see me that way. So, it's still December 18th. I just left Leland Juvenile Center where Owen is being held. I'm in my car now. Um, wow. Sorry, I just thought she'd be... She was... That was intense. I think I need to take a minute and figure out what just happened. I need to call my producer. I called Christina right away. I told her what had happened and brought her the recording to hear for herself. At first, she told me we could use it. It would be one episode, and it would end on an eerie note and stir up a conversation. But I resisted. There was more to this case. The problem with radio is that it can't convey certain things that we, as reporters, see. When Owen Rose was being escorted from the room, singing, I saw the look in her eyes. She acted scary, she sounded scary, but she didn't look scary. She looked scared. 
the pride and apathy that her caseworker told me about, I saw right through it. I had to go back. Unfortunately, I'd been indefinitely uninvited from Leland. And where I'd go next with this story, I had no idea. So I went into Leland with a ton of knowledge about the profile of an arsonist. I had yet to learn if Owen matched any of it. I also went in with the idea that she was innocent and wrongfully accused, but she basically confessed to me. I don't know what's so bad about these people that she did it. Uh, like that Farrah Fawcett movie where she burns the guy in bed. Um, oh, Burning Bed. That's really good fruit salad, by the way. That's Tom, my fiancé. And he's right. Suddenly, my interest wasn't in whether Owen did it or not, but why? All I can find about Alan and Georgia Clark is that they were 76 and 72. He was a retired pastor, and they had seven children, five biological and two adopted. Who's the other adopted kid? I don't know. Their obituary lists the names of the children, but no ages and doesn't specify which two are adopted. Hmm. So they're religious old white people that adopted a bunch of kids. <laughs> they're a walking whitewash cliche. I think I might resent that. <laughs> Come on. Your dad was a pastor. Give me some insight into the white realm. I mean, lots of churchy old white people love to adopt kids of color. Because it makes them feel important, like a savior. And they can't afford it, you know? It's this weird rite of passage that they go through. They feel called to adoption, though usually that's after God hasn't called them with their own kid, which is, you know, a coincidence. Naturally. They had biological kids and then adopted, though. Uh, I mean, big families are pretty common with pastors. Go forth and multiply all that shit. Save the children, sponsor the children, adopt the children. Under no circumstances, abort the children. Tom's originally from Colorado Springs, a Christian megachurch mecca for those of you unfamiliar with the area. He's a bit bitter, if you can't tell. We don't talk much about his growing up, but for this story, I could really use his input. I didn't go to church. My parents were scientists and usually hung over on Sundays. If they adopted Owen after her mom died, maybe they were just being good Samaritans. Yeah, but what about the other kid? Owen doesn't have any biological siblings? Mm, not that I can see. Well, look into it. Find out about the other kids. Right, but how should I do that? Oh, come on. Who's going to know more about this family than they know about themselves? The church? Mm-hmm. Thanks, babe. If there's one thing Tom has taught me about growing up in church, especially as a pastor's kid, it's that there are no secrets. Tom and his brother were once busted for smoking pot in high school, and the entire church knew about it almost instantly. The network of gossip that infiltrates most of America's churches is something the NSA should envy. Their success in getting information, according to Tom, is they do it under the guise of prayer request. Church members have meetings with pastors, elders, and often one another, under the assumption that the life struggles they share will be kept between them and God. Unlike the Catholic Church, where members confess to a priest, 
Evangelical Christians are encouraged to confess their sins to one another so they may be healed. So, I knew where I had to go next. Join us next time for Episode 2 of Salamander. Nice to meet you, Bob Riker. What can I do for you? So, you knew the Clarks pretty well. Alan and I founded the church. We were both there when they broke ground. Did you stay in touch after he left? Well, I was on the committee that decided he should go, so no, we weren't on the best of terms. Wait, I thought he retired. No. Where'd you hear that? His obituary. No, no. After what happened to the boy, me and the other elders couldn't have him on staff. What boy? What happened? (sighs) His son. From the Philippines. Jay. Salamander is a production of Snapshot Broadcast Studios and Insafient Podcasts. It is produced by Jeff Baldwin and written by Ashley Dunstan. Please subscribe to, rate, and review Salamander on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook at Insafient Podcasts and on Twitter at Insafient Pod. Visit our website at insafientpodcasts.com for more information and show notes for each episode. While you're there, if you have any tips or insight into this story or simply want to say hello, click on the Make Contact link at the top of the site. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, if you'd like to help us keep producing this show, consider donating to us at insapientpodcasts.com support. Every little bit helps. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care of yourselves and always be vigilant.